We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is a Tuesday edition of the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 18, if I'm not mistaken. Maddie, we're getting up there in numbers, starting to catch our stride here a little bit. We apologize to our listeners first and foremost. It was a, uh, a personal conflict of scheduling that uh, led us here to a Tuesday podcast, but we hope you're enjoying here on a fine Tuesday afternoon. Maddie, how we doing, babe? Uh, not not too bad. Nice to be with you on this Tuesday. How was uh how was the big bachelor party weekend? Bachelor party was good. Uh, snuck down to New Orleans for about thirty six hours. Uh, celebrate a good pal Alex Firth uh, getting married here in about a month and a half. So I uh, got down to New Orleans and uh, made some memories that we won't remember and uh, care not to remember probably. But uh, it was a great time. My first time in New Orleans. The travel was a bit of a bear. Uh, you know, I felt like I spent most of my weekend in airports. Um, but, uh, it was a blast. We had a Airbnb there. We watched the fight. We'll, we'll get to a little fight reaction later on in the podcast. Um, and had, had all the good times you would imagine would be had in new Orleans, Matt. Well, that, that's good to hear. I still have yet to make it down there. So I, I should, I should definitely do that at some point from what I've heard. You know, it's, I, I feel like it's the perfect bachelor party location. It's still better than Vegas. Uh, no. <laughs> I, and, and I'm not, and I'm not a huge Vegas guy either. No, you but you love Vegas. You're a huge Vegas pool party. I'm guy. not. I've only, I've only been to Vegas once. Had a great time. But uh, <laughs> New Orleans, it, it has its neighborhoods that are great, and it has its history. But it's very helter skelter. I couldn't put my thumb on it. Now I know I was only there for a couple of days, but I'd love to go back and just kind of get a better pulse on the place rather than just kind of the party scene and what we were doing. We were in the Garden District, our place. Our, uh, our Airbnb, so I uh, saw a lovely little neighborhood there, but uh, I digress, Matt. Let's jump into Let's some, talk sports. Uh, let's stick to let's sports. Let's talk huh? to sports. Let, let's do a little sports talk here. We're going to kick things off with some, some Bears preseason reactions, and I know we've made a lot of this preseason, but we got another sample size the other day against the Tennessee Titans. I actually watched um, about three-quarters of the game at Manning's Restaurant in New Orleans while waiting uh, to head to the airport for my flight. So watch it on the big screen there. And again, we saw some good things out of Mitch Trubisky, uh, kind of forcing the hand here of the coaching staff. But at the same time, this was the first time that I felt somewhat comfortable with Mike Glennon being the starting quarterback of the Chicago bears. Uh, I tend to think you're right. I, I think we saw some good things in week two, but he did have that, you know, the awful interception and didn't come back from it all that well. But I, I agree. He looked, finally comfortable in that offense they let him throw the ball a little bit more than they had in the first two weeks and maybe that's more of a process of you know him coming from a Buccaneers offense where it was just it was a different offense completely different system whereas Trubisky kind of got to come into this one right mm-hmm. away and be eased into it where Clint you know, Glennon was kind of a you know you got to know the whole thing you, we can't have limitations with our starting quarterback and be you know kind of thrown right into it and, and had to come and yeah Trubisky has that clean slate, Glennon didn't, but both looked really good. Um, it sucks that Cam- Cameron Meredith had to had to go down with that really pretty gruesome knee injury, but we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, both showed very encouraging signs. That throw from Trubisky to Gentry was uh, was as good of a deep ball as you'll see from, from the 50 out. It was a perfect deep ball. He had all the time in the world, but stepped up in the throw, hit him in stride. Uh, that big play ability is not you know, the hallmark of Bears football never really has been, uh, even with Jay's big arm and having Brandon Marshall outside and threats like that. I always felt like OCs for the last five, six, seven years weren't apt to that. And I'd love to see a little bit more of that. Stretch the field, force those defensive backs to get on their heels and not be able to play downhill. And that just makes your running game that much safer. I don't care if it's if Mike Lennon or Mitch Trubisky or Mark Sanchez, all three of those guys have the capability to push the ball downfield. There are only a few guys in the NFL who don't have. That's one of the easier things to do is throw a deep ball deeper than the deepest. You know, it's not it's not a very hard thing to do, especially when your wide receiver has the DB beat by a step and a half. So I'd love to see more of that just from whoever the starting quarterback is and Dow Loggins take a couple more shots downfield because I have always been of 
the point of view that that opens up the rest of the game. And I know I've come from the game from a wide receiver's point of view, and we, we like to think pass first, but until, until a team shows that they can stop you, they can shut you down on a deep ball, go for that. Throw, I want to see four deep balls a game. I want to see, I want to see an offense stretch the field. No, I'm, I'm actually kind of with you, and the last time we really saw a Bears offense that did that was back in the days when we, when we were watching Rex Grossman under Sexy Rexy. And say what you want about him, but and, and he had this unbelievable, historically good defense that, that helped lead them to that NFC Championship and Super Bowl loss. But the he was able to you see him stretching out the offense, open things up for you know running games, and while they were able to take more risks with that defense, it opened things up for you know an, an average running back in Thomas Jones, a pretty good offensive line led by Owen Cruz, but it helped mask the fact that he wasn't that great of a quarterback because he had that deep threat with, with wide receivers on the outside. Now, whether or not the Bears have those once we get to the regular season here will be, excuse me, will be uh, will remain to be seen. But that that deep threat, you're absolutely right. It opens up everything for the offense. If the safeties have to start playing a step or two back, if the corners have to play a little bit farther off, it, it opens up everything, including the running game, which I know the Bears really want to do this year. And now, Matt, also think of how the game has changed since the days of Rex Grossman, 10, 15 years ago, whatever that was. This is now a wide receivers league. The way the, the referees call the game, the propensity to throw a defensive pass interference flag has gone up. Put the ball up. Cons- considerably. Put it up there. It's a spot foul. Go after it. I want to see more of that out of the Bears this year. But we're going off on a little bit of a tangent here. Let's get back to what we saw on Sunday afternoon, that Cameron Meredith injury just really... That was bad. It, it looked bad, and yeah. not even just the gruesomeness of the injury. You feel bad for the guy. He was going to be your number one target. He was going to be A1 for whoever the starting quarterback is, and I think this is even more of a reason to shelf Mitch Trubisky for as long as possible. His number one target's not going to be there, and not to say that Cameron Meredith is Odell Beckham Jr., but he's your A1. He was their number one. Yeah, yeah. And, you're absolutely and right. If, and if you lose your number one, a rookie quarterback is at even more of a disadvantage. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think Glennon coming out and having this the game that he did against Tennessee was huge for that as well. Because now the Bears do have that reason that, not excuse, I won't use that word, but they have the reason to go out and, and start Glennon for you know five, six weeks, whatever they see fit. Now, if things go terribly wrong in the first couple weeks, you might start to hear some cry outcries from the fans, all that stuff, but that really shouldn't be relevant. That shouldn't get to the Bears that much. They have the reason now to start Glennon, and hopefully you can, and I know it's a tough schedule for the first five, but who knows, maybe Glennon can get hot for a couple weeks, and you can actually find somebody who's willing to give you something for Mike Glennon. I think one thing that's going to work against the Bears here this year is the fact that John Fox's livelihood rests on Mike Glennon. Pace and the front office's livelihood rests on Mitch Trubisky. Pace has got time. He bought himself a couple years with the drafting of Mitch Trubisky. John Fox needs Mike Lennon to be successful right now. Because if Mike Lennon's successful, he did what you needed him to do. You say thank you and goodbye at the end of the season. If he's woefully bad, not only are we going to be hearing cries for Mitch Trubisky, you're going to be hearing about John Fox out of the picture, playing coaching for his job, and if he's going to make that move and bring Trubisky in, now you've got a rookie quarterback coming into a situation, playing under a coach and an offensive coordinator, downloading things into his brain in a system that might not even be his system next year. He might be dealing with a new OC. He might be dealing with a new head coach next year if things do go awry. So I think that the current situation can go toxic real quick. I tend to agree with you. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, 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 no, I don't remember when this was. It was about a week or two ago. I can't remember for the life of me what the guest was on the radio station, but it was a, I think it was a national football reporter who had been around a while. Actually, knew Fox pretty well, and someone pretty much asked him the same type of question, like you know, if if Glennon starts out awful, what's to stop Fox from you know trying to throw Trubisky in there as a as a last minute like save my job type move here if things go bad. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I apologize for not being able to remember who it was, but basically said, you know, I know John Fox really well. The next job's always going to be there for him, whether he wants it, you know, maybe it might not be a head coaching job, but there will be another next job. And the way John Fox has coached his entire career is always for the good of the team. 
Mm-hmm. And now that, that maybe that's somebody just trying to, you know, a, a buddy trying to give John Fox, yeah, pump you know, a vote Fox of confidence, a maybe. But that doesn't seem knowing John Fox, getting to, not knowing personally, but getting to know him as a, as a coach the last few years, that doesn't seem too out of the realm of possibility for me that he will do what's best for Mitch Trubisky and the Bears. And I think if he does do what what's best with that, I I think he has a little bit more of a leash. If Mike yeah. Glennon comes out and is god awful and they go 0-5 or whatever the hell it was, and, and Ryan Pace is up there saying, you know, let's not rush Mitch, let's keep going with Glenn and all that stuff. I, I think you have to take that into consideration as a, as a general manager, ownership, whatever it is at the end of the season. you got to kind of take him, take him at his word. Yeah, and I, I think if he goes, say he does, you know, say they start out 0-5, you know, maybe 2-7, and whatever the hell it is, and then, Glenn, or then Trubisky finally comes in. Starts to show some flashes and they finish up like six, you know, finish four and three the rest of the year, go six and ten, something yeah. like that. Because Trubisky started taking steps, you know, looking good in the offense. If you're Ryan Pace, would you want to mix that up? Because I don't think I would. If, if they started out off, yeah, things start of the, moving in the right direction. If they start moving in the right direction and your quarterback is taking signs in that, that offense in that right direction, I don't think I want to change things up. I think I want to keep things going. Because, you know, this. As much you know, as we like to give crap to John Fox the last couple of years, he's been dealt a crap roster. And yeah. he's had success everywhere he's been in the NFL. This isn't like some guy they took a random shot on. You know what this is perfect for, Matt? Hmm. Head coaching franchise tag. Exactly. We should have. Get me the head coach franchise tag. Patent pending. Sit me, sit me down, patent pending. Sit me down at one of these meetings. And it completely opens up the Bears' options then, if that is the case, that Trubisky starts getting them rolling in the right direction after a woeful start. Uh, it's something that I think is extremely probable. I think that it's something that we're probably going to see at the end of the season is some good Mitch Trubisky against maybe the weaker half of the schedule. And hopefully it does build a little momentum going into the offseason. And here we are before kickoff talking about the offseason, man. Now, we, we, we've spent this entire time talking about Trubisky and uh, you know, Glenn and the, the offense and all that, but let's take a few minutes to talk about the other side of the football, who went out yeah. against Mar- when he, arguably the best young quarterback in the NFL and Marcus Mariota, one of them, an offense that people are touting to be pretty, pretty damn good this year with, with two really solid running backs and weapons on the outside. And it was only the preseason, but you know, put only held, or held the Titans to, to seven points the other day. Mm-hmm. And it, it was pretty good doing it. It was an impressive performance by the defense, and it, the Bears did get a little dinged up in that game. I think was it uh, Amukamura went down early, um, and, and and they still managed to not only salvage the game but be pretty dominant on the defensive yeah. side of the ball. One thing that I'm seeing from this defense is pressures coming from a lot of different places, whether it be the second level with blitzing or it be speed rushing edges with guys on the outside. You see pressure coming from a lot of different areas and a lot of different ways. Not something we've seen from the Bears in the past. For so long, we were just looking at a four-man rush trying to generate pressure just off of your front four. And in today's NFL, that's not creative enough. That's not going to get things done. And I think there's a little bit more creativity with this Bears defense. No, I agree. And I think Vic Fangio realized he had to get a little bit more creative with this Bears defense. And I think he tried the last few years, but especially last year, when they were so banged up, it was really hard to get anything done up front. Yeah. But now that they finally, they're not fully healthy because Pernell McPhee's not back and who knows, may never be. But Leonard Floyd's kind of coming in, into his own. That front seven, Jonathan Bullard's starting to look good. Akeem Hicks is looking pretty good. That, that front seven is starting to come into its own a little bit and allow him to get creative. And they're capable of executing what he wants to do. And I think we're starting to see that. Not only that, while they don't have any stars back in the secondary, they finally seem to have at least a solid mix of veterans who are capable back there and who are capable of holding coverages just long enough for these blitzes to maybe not hit totally, but put some pressure on the quarterback and maybe force an early throw, something like that. It's it's exciting because we talked about it last week. That's always been the picture of Chicago football. Dare I say Chicago sports is hard-nosed defense, pressure on the quarterback, party in the backfield type defense. And if we can get back to that, put freaking Jeremy Langford at quarterback. Let's run the Wildcat. I don't care. I want to watch an exciting defense. That's what we grew up on. And I know there are not the Erlackers back there, but let's start 
let's start building a new regime. Let's start building a new three-way linebacker, defensive end, whatever it is. Let's start downloading those new faces into our Bears history because we haven't had that historic bear in a long time. And we're still looking for that. I, I might be getting, I probably am getting a little bit of my head ahead of myself here. I know it's just the preseason, but I really, really am starting to think Leonard Floyd is going to be that. He, he very that well could. Guy. He's starting know, to just show, he's really starting to show flashes. It looks like he's put on a good amount of weight and muscle over the off season. And he hasn't lost a step on the edge. And he's, he, Sometimes when you come back from a neck injury or head injury like he he's doing now, mm-hmm. you, you maybe tend to be a little bit tentative, you know, maybe a little bit reserved because you don't want to get hurt, something like that, a little mental issue. But he is just showing none of that, and it, we, we'll see what happens when the regular season rolls around because it's a whole new ball game then. But he's starting to show flashes of why they traded up to take him and oh, yeah. pass up and on that- some pretty darn good talent doing it. And that was I was extremely I questioned that move, but. And I've questioned most moves that this, most picks, most Every, trades, everything. everything that this front office has done. I don't think there's done. been a move that they've done since we've started this podcast that you have not questioned negatively. Even before the <laughs> podcast, just just this Ryan Pace and, and his draft style, what he's done, moving to take players, taking players that maybe we didn't know. We'll talk a little Kevin White in a second. It's really just the anti from what we're used to. It, it it's, is. it's so and different from what we're used to. It, I think that's why we were so like, I don't like that. That's not what we're used to. But, but I'd the, love, I'd love to be wrong on on Leonard Floyd. And I think that I'm going to be. I think I, that that's go, going I, to be the I, case. I, I want to be able to admit that I was fully 100 percent wrong, and I'm starting to get there too. A guy that I don't think that I'm wrong about, and that I really want to be wrong about, is Kevin White. Good segue. And, and he's in. Thank you. He's in his. <laughs> he's in a make or break year. He's in year th- this is year three now. Year He's three. going to be in his third year. We've seen nothing but glimpses, and they haven't even been great glimpses. Now with Cameron Meredith going down, you have to be the guy. You have to be the A1. You have to be the main target. And I know Victor Cruz is a veteran, this, that, and the other, but that's a ticking time bomb there. There's only so, You only got so much. That's a, clo- that's a window that's almost closed there with Victor Cruz. Kevin White's window, he needs to break that window open this year and show us that he can be the wide receiver of the future. Is the build there? Is the body there? Yes. Is he durable? I don't think so. Can he run any other route than a go or a slant? I haven't seen it yet. He ran a curl route, like a 15-yard in, in the game, and it was the roundest route. There was no snap to it. I'm just not convinced that this guy ever had the ability to be a top-tier NFL wide receiver. They love this speed. They love this big playability. But after that, you need to be able to do something else. Deshaun Jackson's always been able to take the top off a of defense, but get that man the ball in a hitch route, he could still make moves. Get that man the ball in space, and he could still make something happen. I don't know if there is that nuance to Kevin White's game yet, and I don't think there ever will be. Now, I, I you mentioned his inability to run, you know, the entire route tree. You said he can really run a go or a slant. You played receiver what most of your life up through college and all that. I. Obviously, I know the position, but I've never played it myself. The first thing you heard when Kevin White got drafted, even before that draft, was, well, you know, he's got a lot of raw talent, but West Virginia didn't ask him to do much. I'm not sure he can run the whole pro route tree. These guys are elite athletes who you see what they do on the football field, going up, getting the ball, running by people, all that stuff. How is it possible that these guys can't run? It just seems like a very simple concept to me and I know some run you know quicker snappier than others but how is this so difficult for professionals to learn nine different routes it I mean there's so many more routes than that in the NFL game no, it's, I all, guess the, it's the, all about the route spacing is, yeah is it's all about spacing nine, and yeah that's I mean when you draw it up in high school for kids that's what it looks like there's a lot more going on at the college level and then you get to the professional level and it's a completely different ball game the, the disparity in talent as well doesn't allow a guy to just be uh, an aficionado at the go and the slant. Like, you can't have two tools in your bag. You have to have every single tool in your bag. My favorite thing to go back to about wide receivers and wide receiver play is that Jerry Rice never ran under, never ran a sub 4-6, but he's the greatest receiver of all time. It's one of the few positions in the sport that it's not even it's not even debated. Maybe you get Moss into that conversation, but Jerry Rice 
is the GOAT at wide receiver. Never ran sub 4-6, but had technique. He knew how to stem routes. He knew how to set DBs up. He was using the fact that he knew where he needed to be and the defensive back didn't better than anyone ever did. I don't think Kevin White's doing that. I don't think Kevin White understands that nuance of the game. Now, yes, Kevin White has played wide receiver already at leaps and bounds higher levels than I ever could have dreamed of, but he's playing against talent that is leaps and bounds above any talent that we ever played against. So yes. he needs to he needs to raise his level. He needs to take his game to the next level this year. And if that means, you know, working technique, getting the footwork down, getting the trust back in that ankle or where the, his injured spots, like trusting himself to be able to set guys up the way the greats do, that's when you get great, great ride receivers. You know, a lot of guys do it different ways. We watched Kelvin Johnson do it for seven, eight years, just out of brute strength, size, and Force. Not many guys can do that. Not many guys are six Correct. six. That's why they called the Megatron. Six watched, six to I, run a four four. Yeah, we watched Deshaun Jackson do it with four three numbers. We've watched other guys do it with whatever their skills are. Kevin White needs to figure out what his skill is because it's obviously not the deep ball. It's obviously not route running ability. He needs to figure out where his niche is, and he needs to go exploit that. Because if you're just a deep threat, you're you're not much of a threat at all. That you you put that very very well, and I thank you for clearing that up for me because that's again I know what the I just mentally for me I can never understand why guys could never get to that point, but that seems to make a lot more sense. And hopefully, maybe for Kevin White, Cameron Meredith going down and him kind of being he's got nowhere to hide anymore. The last yeah, but years, the, he's the always, opportunity, but the opportunity's been there. He really had no. Where, where, you, you, let, just let me finish. I know the ahead, opportunity's been there, but he's always kind of had. Not a safety blanket, but he's had he's had a, a number one to hide behind. He had you know Alshon Jeffrey. He had what I think Brandon Marshall was here that first year too. He granted he got hurt right away, but he had even this year. You know Cam Meredith was still that number one. They had a whole bunch of you know veteran number two, three options there as well. Now mm-hmm. he kind of has nowhere to hide because if you're the Bears, you're going. I think you have to go out and throw him up at, at number one just simply because. This year, you're, you're seeing as a transition year still anyways. So why the hell not just say, kid, go sink or swim. This is your year. Yeah. And may, I, maybe I, that's what he finally needs to break out. I, I know I'm being very optimistic because I want Kevin White to work out. But maybe that's what he finally needs. There, there's nowhere to run. There's no one to hide. He's squarely in the spotlight. Go show it. Go prove it. I, I really hope he does swim because the Bears, the Bears need a target. Mike Lennon's going to need a target. Mitch Trubisky's going to need a target. And... If the Kevin Bears White. are going to make the the NFC Central wire, or NFC Wild Card picture, the Packers are going to win the North. Um, if they if they want to make the Wild Card picture look at all interesting this year from a Chicago standpoint, Kevin White needs to be what they thought he was. I agree with that 110 percent, Matt. Well, uh, we have all season to pick Kevin White and the rest of the Bears apart. So let's jump to another topic here: the fight of the century. It was billed as Mayweather McGregor. Uh, I watched it from bell to bell, watched the whole undercard, too. We had a, a theater room in uh, at the Airbnb that in, had to be in awesome. New Orleans. So we, we ordered the fight on the big projector. It was uh, it was an absolute blast. Had it cranked up to 60 on the volume. We were, we were enjoying it. And I think that's really what I came away with, was sheer enjoyment. It was a lot more enjoyable than I, um, any Mayweather fight I can remember. And I've probably watched the last six seven Mayweather fights and it's always a dance class and Floyd did do his thing he played his defense he turned his back to McGregor but you saw the prowess come out in the later rounds he went after him he went after him he put his head down he put his hands in front of his face and he leaned on him in those because he knew McGregor's tank only had so much in it he survived that early barrage and that early barrage from McGregor was fun to watch and it was a lot more entertaining than I think I thought I ever that it ever would be. So I was happy. I felt like it was worth my $10 that I pitched in. I mean, we were talking before about how the, the build-up to this fight was going to be the best part. McGregor, might we, we worried about what he was even going to look like in the ring, if he was going to be a real boxer, all that stuff. He looked like he belonged in a boxing ring. Yeah, it definitely looked different. It looked unorthodox. Yes. He was he was he throwing look, punches while he, he was like switching natural, his feet. But he looked no. like he belo- he didn't look out of place. He looked like he belonged in the same ring as Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, I, which I was, thought it was that was a really welcome surprise to me. And he wasn't afraid to go after him a little bit. And I, 
you obviously saw the conditioning there kind of wear on him a little bit towards the end, which I thought it would eventually, but it right around round seven is when he kind of started being close to out on his feet there for a little bit, Yeah, which was a little bit surprising to me that it came that early. But I think he might now, I, I think he's going back to boxing. I don't think he's going to be back in the MMA for a little little while because why make $3 million a fight when you can make 50? But yeah. I, I, I think he now has a training I don't know, goal or he, he has that standard because you can't really simulate the fight, what you're going to need from a conditioning standpoint, all your other aspects of training until you've done it before. And now that he's done that, I think he knows how to prepare himself even better. See, I, I agree what you're saying there, but I do disagree with the fact that he's not, that he's going to continue to box and not go back to MMA. I think that Conor McGregor is a very intelligent businessman. I think he knows exactly what he just did. I think that $100 million in the bank means more to him than, a, than 230 could mean in the bank to Floyd. And by, by saying that, I mean that he's going to take this skill set. He just trained for a boxing match for the last three months. He's going to take this nuanced boxing talent he has back to the MMA. He's going to win three more title fights in the MMA, and he's going to ride off into the sunset. I don't think he feels like he has anything to prove to anyone in the MMA circle or in the boxing circle. And now what he can do is he can sit on that $100 million and say to Dana White, Dana, I'll come back and fight for you because you have no other names, you have no other faces, I'm your hallmark, but I need 10 a fight at least, or I need 15 a fight, or I need 20 a fight. Whatever his number is, he's going to be able to set that number now because he is a $100 million man. Yeah, but whatever that number is, it won't be half of what he can earn in a boxing ring. And I yes, know, it, I, yes, it will. Because he's he not going to be fighting. He's in a boxing I don't think he could. Because he's not going to be fighting Floyd Mayweather. Triple G's not going to take that fight. Canelo's not going to take that fight. It was entertaining, but it still was a sideshow. He is not a professional boxer. He has one professional boxing match under his belt. None of these world champions are going to walk through him. None of these world champions are going to want to take that fight. Floyd took the fight because it was an easiest, easy 50th win. He knew it was the biggest pay-per-view grab of his life. And that's that draw's not going to be there. I mean... Yes, we'll pay to watch a uh, um, uh, McGregor, let's say Canelo fight. Yeah, that would be great. But why would Canelo ever take that match? He, the, the biggest fight in boxing history is what they were calling this. But at the same time, the biggest fight in the last 10 years still has yet to happen. Triple G Canelo, they're calling this like an actual one for the ages. It's supposed to be, be. Wait, that's gonna it's going to be, fight. it's going to be a war. Now, why would either of those guys after winning or losing say, Hey, yeah, let me go fight the guy from the sideshow that just lost to Floyd. Who's sitting on a hundred million dollars. They're not going to be able to grab that much money. I think that his, his ability to demand X amount of dollars is going to be very similar, whether he's on his feet, boxing in a ring or he's on the ground grappling in an MMA fight. I think that he's really changed the game in terms of MMA. See, why wouldn't the loser of that fight want to get in the ring with Conor? Because it's another big fight. It's, it's, is whether, it though? I, th I think it's... it's Conor, I think the, Conor McGregor is the biggest name in boxing right now, in my opinion. And I, 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 Now that Floyd Mayweather is quote-unquote retired, I'm not totally sure we'll never see him again, but for now he's retired. I don't think there's a bigger name in boxing. Yes, you and me... No Canelo and Triple G, and we're really excited. I'm really excited to see that fight. I th I, that's when I plan on ordering. I'm going to love watching it. I don't think if you ask the casual sports fan what Triple G's name was, they, know, they would just yeah, – you do. Yeah, you're, but, I'm, you're, but I'm a casual boxing fan. I'm you're a, you're boxing. a little bit – Joe, you were in the ring a couple weekends ago, remember? That was just because <laughs> I had a nice suit on. <laughs> but no, all I'm saying is like, I, I don't think like, – people know Conor McGregor, the – not even the casual sports fan, less than the casual sports fan. And I, I still think, even though he lost that, that, excuse me, even though he lost that fight, I still think he's the biggest name in boxing. So why wouldn't the loser of that Canelo uh, Triple G fight want to take on Connor? Get like you said, he's not a boxer, so take their easy win, quote unquote, and also have as that, that that'll be the biggest draw that either of those two can find after losing that fight. I see what you're saying there, but you know, at the same time, this this Mayweather McGregor match was the perfect storm. It was two guys who draw who drew all the eyes. I don't think if it's McGregor, anyone else, loser of that match, that it will draw the casual eyes that it did. And let me give you a snapshot of this. We're at the house watching the fight. Uh, the day before I got there, the Bachelor Party met up with a Bachelorette Party 
The bachelorette oh. party comes over to the house. Leave, leave it. Leave it alone. Bachelorette, <laughs> bachelorette party comes over to the house, and these girls were locked into the fight. They sat there with us and watched it like, like it was the Super Bowl. Like it was something that they needed to see, needed to be a part of. I don't think there's that, I need to be a part of this. I need to form an opinion on this just to feel like you're a part of pop culture. This fight was pop culture, and I don't think you get that pop culture if it's McGregor versus fill in the blank. I don't really think don't. it I don't think you do either, but I mean get, that's not really my point is what I'm saying because I don't think from a pop culture everyone's into it standpoint we'll ever see a fight like this again. Yeah. Um but boxing doesn't stop because of that. And and even though we're never going to see that pop culture that aspect of everybody tuning in this this really being the Super Bowl of boxing. This is probably the biggest mm-hmm. fight we've seen since Tyson Holyfield or honestly Ed that doesn't mean that these guys aren't looking for big paydays. That doesn't mean yeah. there aren't still big paydays to be had. And say what you want about Conor McGregor, the fact that he went into that ring and didn't embarrass himself, looked like he belonged, I think he earned himself he earned himself another fight. But yeah. I, I think he's, that gives him the possibility of fighting a bigger name again. Maybe yeah, not maybe not one of those two, but as, as a casual sports fan, a casual boxing fan, if I see Conor McGregor's on the card, I'm more likely to tune in and see what goes on there Absolutely. because I want to see how he holds up. And that's Absolutely. what boxing's about. It's about the money. It's about who's going to pay to see it. It, it absolutely is. And, and you're right there, Matt. But I also think that the fact that MMA has been waiting for Conor McGregor to be done with this, that he completely ca- he calls his number now. And I think that the, his market value in MMA has even gone up because of this, because people who – think MMA is gruesome or too much might have still tuned into this because of the pop culture aspect. And now they might travel back to MMA with Connor. Cause if you hear it's going to be Connor versus GSP or one of these other names, uh, Connor and Diaz three, who are Connor Diaz. That's the fight that makes sense. Great grab. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that Dana White understands he needs to do whatever he has to do to get Connor McGregor back in the octagon to save his his league. I don't disagree sport. with. I don't disagree with that. The MMA needs Connor, but does Connor need the MMA? I guess is where I'm at here. I don't just know blew my mind, if they Matt. have the financial capability. <laughs> hey, you can say Connor can name his number, but if Connor says, "Well, I'm in line to make 75 million, including pay per view buys from this fight, whatever." Yeah, I don't think Dana can get to half of that. Yeah. But we'll oh, see. We'll see. It, Whatever it, he uh, does next, though, it, whether it's in the the octagon or the ring, we'll I, be watching. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna watch. Absolutely. Uh, Conor McGregor has positioned himself as one of the biggest names, not in boxing, not in MMA, but in sports right now and in pop culture. And I think that, uh, you know, he's in a position now where he can do whatever the hell he wants. Agreed. All right. Well, we're going to move on from our fight talk, Matt. It was an exciting fight. Uh, got an exciting debut on the South side. Uh, Giolito, I, di- I haven't seen him. Th- I've seen a couple highlights. I saw a strikeout after his first win. But Matt, you're going to have to take the reins on this one. I've been out of the loop out of town um what did you like out of the debut now first off let me pull up that the box score from the the outing on sunday just so i can get all my numbers right here but i like you i didn't watch the entire start i watched uh some of it and uh, probably the same highlight package as you would be my guess Mm -hmm. but the the thing i'm loving about lucas giolito is it looks like he's finally got his command a little bit and that was his issue down in charlotte when he was struggling early on in the year it was just like it is with a lot of these young pitchers like rodan we saw early on who starting to look really good anyways but he, he starts to he's looking like he has his command uh, of his fastball and his off-speed pitches and only struck out four on Sunday but he only walked three in seven innings only allowed three hits um, and he, he just had some nasty off-speed stuff moving and against not an awful offensive team in the Tigers while they're they're not having the year they uh, many thought they might they're, they're not a an incapable offensive team so it's not like he went into Oakland and shut somebody out he went seven shutout innings against the Fairly solid offensive team and look good doing so. Yeah, and the thing you said there that catches my ear is that he's a young guy with the ability to go seven. A lot of times... Yep, uh, through 104 the, pitches in seven Yeah, that, that 100-pitch endurance isn't there when guys are just coming up. You see him having a lot of five-inning starts, a lot of six-inning starts, maybe a four-inning start here or there. But the fact that he can go seven control the walks that's that's all those are all good signs for the Sox yeah and this was a guy that people were starting to get uh, I mean we were all excited when we we found out they they got him and Reynaldo Lopez for Eaton but or yeah mm-hmm. for Adam Eaton but Giolito was the big name in that that was the the name that we were yeah. supposed to be really excited about 
He was at the time the top pitching prospect in baseball. He is not anymore. Um, but I, I think early on in this year when he started to struggle, you saw some people say, well, you know, maybe he's just going to be a back end of you know, the rotation starter. Maybe he's going to be a, an Andrew Miller type bullpen guy. Not really living up to what we thought, but I, I think the last few starts he had down in Charlotte, he was good. His two starts up here have been really solid. I, I think you're starting to see flashes of why he was that number one overall pitching prospect, and hopefully he can pan out. But it, it's exciting to see these young guys come up. And, and that's, that's really, and I think I've said it on the pod before, that's the most important thing about this rebuild and any rebuild. We saw it on the north side. They labeled their guys. They went and got them. They drafted them. They traded for them. They built the roster that they wanted. But nearly every single one of those prospects panned out to what you thought they were going to be. Jorge Soler maybe aside. Like, Georgie was great, but he wasn't as great, I guess, as he was billed to be. Yeah. Aside from the point, if you want the rebuild to work at the velocity that it did on the north side, those prospects have to pan out like they did up there. Yeah, I I totally agree. And so far, it looks like uh, the Sox it, are, are looking like their guys does. will. Um, the, what I love with Giolito is you see a lot of these prospects. How people say, "Don't rush him up, don't hurry him up." And you know, you look at Giolito's numbers this year in Charlotte. Maybe he's not ready, but he's a guy who spent enough time in the minors where sink or swim this year. Just get him up and working with Don Cooper because yeah. it looked like that's kind of. He didn't really need any more seasoning against minor league hitters. He just needed to have some work with a major league pitching coach. That's nothing against minor league pitching coaches, but Don Cooper is one of the best pitching coaches and, I guess, reviver of careers in in major league baseball. So I I love seeing getting him up here and working with the MLB pitching staff. Why you got to do that now? Now our listening, our listeners, all of our minor league pitching coach listeners are gonna not listen to the podcast anymore. Damn it! Sorry. Why you got to? Why you got to take shots minor league like pitching that? coaches are great. They all deserve major league jobs. <laughs> okay, we're back they're the in real their good, heroes. We're back in their good graces. Um, speaking of the North Side, Matt, their Cubbies are currently two and a half games clear. Uh, didn't didn't cut, catch much Cubs baseball this last week. They seem to have righted the ship a little bit. Um, and they they're back in control of that central still struggling to figure out an identity moving forward but a lot of people are starting to i was reading an article uh, earlier the matchup we want to see in in the in the world series and people are calling for a rematch of cleveland chicago and could it happen yes it absolutely could if the cubs can strike hot iron here in the last few weeks of the season go in at 100 miles an hour i don't see why it couldn't no, of course it could. Because all you in baseball, I think more than anything, you just got to get in and, and hopefully ride a hot pitcher. But I, I, this isn't because I'm not a Cubs fan. This is more just as a strictly baseball fan standpoint. Like the Cubs have just the last few weeks become almost boring to me to watch. Yeah, I mean the last year I, as much I don't like them. I, I I had a blast watching them. I loved watching Cubs baseball last year because it was, it was exciting. It was somebody new every game. This year it's. Maybe it's because they're playing the last few weeks have been against all under 500 teams, and it's been a, it's been the Reds like 10 times, it feels like. But <laughs> it's just, it's, it's not, it's missing that it factor that it had last year. And maybe it, I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not having as much fun watching Cubs baseball this year as, as I did last year. It's not the same quality it's... of product, and maybe that'll change once the playoffs roll around. But there's really no one, I mean, Milwaukee's two and a half games, but they don't really seem to have a credible threat in the NL Central. And that, I think that's part of it. It's a case of diminishing return. You, you say it perfectly, Matt, that last year there were so many storylines and it was a different guy every day and you couldn't take your eyes off of them, whether it be as casual fans or as fans of the White Sox or whatever, however you want to label yourself. The fact that there isn't the history on the line. There isn't the storyline that there might have been last year. There isn't Araldish Chapman. He was he brought eyes alone just as a single player. There aren't the storylines that there were last year, but this baseball team is still extremely talented and still does have the opportunity to make a run here in the playoffs. I could see it happening. The fact that they've done it almost makes you take them for granted. Totally agree. Uh, that, that's that's probably it's a pretty good way to put it. There is no that there's that lack of that storyline, that 108 year curse, all that stuff, and now it's just I guess strictly back to baseball. It, it absolutely is. Well, we're going to get away from baseball here and uh, get on 
to the PGA Tour. You know we love talking golf here, Matt. Some quick thoughts. Uh, the FedEx Cup is underway. Playoffs are underway. Dustin Johnson walks away with a playoff win over Jordan Spieth in the Northern Trust. It was... When we talk about what golf needs, what, what needs to happen for golf popularity to continue, playoffs between Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth are about as good as it gets for golf. I don't care if it's a major, the Northern Trust, or the first, first tournament, the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. Whatever it is, if you got those two guys going at it in a playoff, that's all the PGA needs. I know we talked before the podcast. I woke up with three holes to play and watched Dustin just fire at it, curling that putt on the 18th, that 25-30 footer. I think that's the most emotion we've ever seen out of Dustin Johnson, an actual fist pump. They go to the playoff, and he takes the most ridiculous angle over a lake. The carry was 330. He hit it 343 or something ridiculous like that and has a baby wedge in, like a half wedge, put it to six feet and won the tournament. A guy like Jordan Spieth who hits the ball long can't compete with that. Jordan Jordan's one of the longer players on tour as well, and I think he had like six iron in. He, he couldn't. He just couldn't fathom taking the angle that Dustin did. Seeing two guys do it two completely different ways, both of them be successful, was a really cool thing to watch at the tail end here of this PGA Tour season. Yeah, you know, that's we've talked about who's going to emerge as the you know face of golf throughout this time. And while it still <clears throat> to the national media, everybody might be Jordan Spieth. I think for me personally, it started. Dustin is is starting to inch over just you know, that, that pack of five or six or whatever the heck it is. But because of his complete fearlessness on the course, the dude is not scared of anything. And I think after his, his couple collapses and majors here and there, after whistling straights and all that, I think he's developed that attitude of, well, the worst, has, the, yeah, the, the worst has already happened to me. So yes. why the hell not try and carry it 330 over a lake? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's what I love about like that to me in golf. That's the most, Golf is such a difficult, such a mental, mentally challenging sport, and all that. I mean, you got to be perfect on every swing, and especially a guy like Dustin. If you're off on your swing, just you know, a centimeter here and there, the ball's going to go 500 yards the wrong way. But mm-hmm. the the mental strength of Dustin Johnson, combined with the physical talent, to take that ball 330 in a playoff on the I'm, seeing a guy do that is like the most badass thing in the world to me on on a sports stage yeah and i think that you put that very eloquently matt that the mental fortitude not not the physical ability to hit that shot but the mental fortitude to take that line is almost as impressive as anything dustin johnson can perfectly yeah that's uh it was was something special to watch and i watched it at thirty thousand feet I, i woke up on the plane as I said, with three to play, it was perfect timing, and uh, luckily I was on a flight that had uh, that had some t- TVs on it. So now, do you think was, when uh, the PGA goes to the second major, then it's twenty nineteen when it moves to number two on the calendar? Do you think these playoffs are going to be elevated to just in, in in the national eye, not to major level? But do you think they're going to be elevated from what they are now? Because right now they're not quite an afterthought, but they're not seen, at least to me and the people that I know watch golf, as not much more than a regular tournament. See, I, I, I tend to already hold them in a little bit of a higher regard. I just hold them in a little bit, but like I, I think the, they might take an even bigger step. Like the golf playoff I, might I hope be it a does. thing now. I hope it does because the format, I think, is flawless. The fact that you get a group of guys and then if you've qualified for the playoffs, you get to play the playoffs and then they cut the group in half and then they cut the group in half and they cut – it's kind of it's, – it's much more cutthroat than yeah. golf is. There's, there's constant cuts going on tournament to tournament and then you got 11 million dollars on the line for the last tournament i'm i think that the fedex cup the way it's built the way it's set up i don't know why the eyes aren't there or or why the the regard isn't there but i think that the way it's being done is perfect and i hope that you know kind of moving it up a little bit or whatever they plan on doing with it once that tournament does once pga does go to the second in line I hope it does elevate it because it is very exciting. Like I, I agree, I think it'll could, put in more. You could feel it the other day. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And uh, regardless of when they play it, I think guys like Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth will be around for a long, long time. Not going anywhere. All right, time to air out a grievance. You got it. Yep, I got it. Hit it. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. No. 
You're gonna hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind? Cause I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Matt, I'm going to throw us a little bit of a curveball here today with my grievance. Um, Mother Nature really has a way of dealing us some real perspective, and uh, I I don't find myself to be in a position today to complain about anything. So uh, I'm really going to take this a different direction. I'm so thankful that my loved ones are safe, that I have a beautiful family and great friends, and that everyone's safe and in good health, and that our homes are standing. And we've really seen... um, the power of mother nature and, and what she can do down in Houston and on, on the Gulf shores down there. And, uh, it's been tough to watch on the news, watching people having their homes destroyed, their lives taken from them and just be really tested to their core. And, um, natural disasters like, like this do deal you a great deal of perspective. So instead of airing a small grievance or complaining about a coach or complaining about you, Matt, oh. um, I, I want to, I want to pose something to our listeners here, a bit of a challenge. Um, I'll be the first guy to make fun of J.J. Watt. He's such a cornball, and uh, I'll be the first guy to be critical of him. But what J.J. Watt's doing right now for the city of Houston is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, at the time that we're recording this podcast, in the last 36 hours, J.J. Watt started a GoFundMe with $100,000 of his own money. Chris Paul followed it up with $50,000. Since they made those donations, they have raised $1.4 million in the last two days for relief efforts. And J.J. Watt jumped on Instagram and said that he's going to do everything he can to make sure that every single penny of this money goes directly to the victims. So whatever it is, whatever you can give, last night I threw $10 at it. If I can buy a $3 coffee this morning, I can throw $5, $10 at this relief fund because we are at a time in our country where we are so divided, so schismed, so cracked by everything, our beliefs, our political views. We find different ways to really divide ourselves. And it's so unfortunate, but it's times like these that really bring us together and strengthen us as one community of Americans. And I think this is a time where we can help out our fellow Americans down south. The link is youcaring.com slash JJ Watt. I'll say that again, youcaring.com dot com slash JJ Watt, Y-O-U-C-A-R-I-N-G dot com slash JJ Watt. It takes two seconds. You throw in your credit card number, you donate whatever you want, and um, and it's really going to go to to some people that need it. So that's my grievance, that's my thanks, and that's my shout out to JJ Watt this week, Matt. You know, in the same topic, obviously, the, the Texas Rangers had a chance to do something, not to the level of J.J. Watt, but a, a chance to help out their rival neighbor, the Houston Astros. I think it's this, for this upcoming weekend. Supposed to play a three-game series in Houston uh, with the Astros, and then there's one uh, in middle September, end of September, that's supposed to play take place in, tech, or in Texas. The Astros asked if they could swap, you know, date swap series so they can take the three in Texas now and then the, the three in Houston at the end of the year. And the Astros basically said, not even basically, they said no. Uh, they mm-hmm. said they'll play in any MLB stadium, including theirs, but they will not switch the series. Yeah. Uh, because they don't want to play uh, four, four consecutive road series at, at the end of the year, which I think, I don't know, that's just, to me, it, it's, it's incredibly selfish. Uh, they better have one hell of an excuse more than just we didn't want to play four consecutive road series. The, the Astros are their neighbor. They're, they're down. They asked for a little bit of help. And basically, just got their face spat in. So they're going to play a series in Tampa, I believe now. And yeah. if, if the Rangers organization doesn't make a massive donation to JJ Watts, uh, GoFundMe, or some the Red Cross, whatever you name it, I, I think it's just an egregious mistake on their part. Yeah, that's a real shame. And there are some other examples of people not coming through. People that are really able to help out and not coming through. We've read some stories about, but I I really like to keep my focus on the stories of heroism and the stories that are coming out of, um, of Houston and the surrounding areas of people really just helping their fellow man, people they don't know and going out there and doing all that they can from Lincoln, Nebraska. I know I could throw a couple bucks at it. So again, that link is youcaring.com slash JJ Watt. I think we can all do our part, however big or small it might be. Hats off to JJ. Absolutely. Matt, you want to jump in a buy or sell? Let's do it. 
All right, I'm going to lead us off. Um, a story that's now you prevalent. didn't send me these beforehand, so I'm going. Yes, in. I did. I yes, I did. That. I sent you a text with the buy or sell. I didn't so see the So you're questions. coming in cold. So now I'm coming in this too. cold. So this will be fun. All right. Actual yeah. natural reaction here. We're going to test oh, your you professionalism did. here, you Matt. Did. You did. Buy okay. or sell? Yes, I did. I'm not you lying. Did. My bad. Buy or sell? Isaiah Thomas Kyrie Kyrie deal gets done despite the hangups with all of the injury um, issues with Isaiah. Yeah, I'm going to buy it. Um, I, from what I've, I, I haven't read many articles. I've just kind of read headlines on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just kind of seems like the Cavs are trying to get Boston to give them even more, which I don't think Boston's going to do. Danny Ainge is not going to do. And Cleveland needs to get rid of Kyrie. And this yeah. is this is as I don't good of see a how de- that I don't see how that works at this point. This is as good of a deal as they could possibly get. I'm shocked that they were able to get that Brooklyn pick out of Boston and included mm-hmm. with Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder. So I would be absolutely shocked if this doesn't go through. If it doesn't, Cleveland is in a world of trouble. I think because they're the, the clock's ticking on how you know when you can get rid of them, when you can get fair value for them. And I don't think they're ever going to find a better deal than this, even if Isaiah Thomas might have an injured hip at the moment. That's a part me. of me, a part of me, really wants to see the trade fall through and watch Kyrie and LeBron bicker their way to an Eastern Conference Finals and quite possibly another matchup with the Warriors in the championship. I think it would just make for outstanding headlines and theater all season long with these two. You know, not talking to each other, but still going out there and each of them scoring 30. Or Kyrie throws a bad pass and people start thinking that it's on purpose. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. It would be fun to see, like, Kevin Love move into the Kyrie role. And then yeah. Kyrie move down to, like, Kevin Love or LeBron's mean mug and I'm not giving him attention all that. That would be fun. But I don't think it yeah. happens. Nor do I. I think the trade does end up I'm, going through. I think they're going to get it done however, I uh, however they need to. All righty. I buy. Hit me. All right, Joe. Buy or sell with the um, – New ownership group led by Derek Jeter down in Miami with the Marlins. Buy or sell that they move Giancarlo Stanton? You know, I I don't know if the new ownership group would have anything to do with it, but I think that I'm going to sell it. Just because Giancarlo in these last couple of months has proven to be the most exciting thing in baseball. And if you're – I understand if you're trying to build a team – you need to move your assets. You need to sell your assets. But at the same time, can no front office figure out how to do it and still keep their guy, still keep our Chris Sale, still keep a name, and still rebuild around them? I think that a front office should figure out a way to do that, especially if you're dealing with the greatest attraction in baseball currently. I I can't really see Giancarlo Stanton anywhere but Miami. The name Giancarlo Stanton screams Miami. We've only seen him in a Marlins jersey, and I think that I'd, I would just love to see a guy pull a Jeter and be somewhere for his career. I would love to see Giancarlo Stanton be with the Marlins through the thick and through the thin and bring them back to a height that they have, haven't been in, in, in 20 years. I, I hope you're right as well. Uh, I think he's a great fit down there. and I, You mentioned kind of be the Jeter down there, and it, maybe it might be – a plus in your favor that Derek Jeter is the guy down there now running yeah. the show. Um, but I, I agree. He's a perfect fit down there. He's the best attraction in baseball. And hey, he's good in Miami. It's a perfect fit. Uh-huh. All right, let's move I think, on. Uh, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm selling on the trade there. All right, um, all right Matt. It, it's starting, you know, it might be a little early for this, but I have seen a couple of things not, on the show. It's not, unfortunately. I have seen, uh, there's been a bit of a chill in the air. I, I've seen some people busting out the sweaters a little earlier than they need to, but buy or sell, Matt. Pumpkin spice. In all its iterations. You know, I'm not a huge pumpkin spice coffee. I don't I don't know what a latte is, actually, so I don't really I don't I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not buying that, but I, I think that there's I think there's foamed milk involved, if I'm not mistaken. Why would I want that? I don't know. Why would don't I want, want foam sorry. Um, I, I, I enjoy the pumpkin flavor in the fall. I like the pumpkin donuts, pumpkin muffin, you know what? I don't think they're going a little too far sometimes. Like I think I saw pumpkin spice Cheerios, which I don't know if that's going to go well for me, but like the, the, the pumpkins, the pumpkin pie, the pumpkins, you know, pumpkin spice donuts, pumpkin spice muffins, you get a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks. Yeah, sure. I, I'll, I'll buy that. I don't think I buy to the extent in which it tries to grow every year, but the flavor itself I'll buy. You're buying the flavor pumpkin. Yeah, you're going to totally buy I'm, this, aren't you? No, 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 no. I sell on it. I'm, I'm very anti-pumpkin. Pumpkin spice, 
lattes, pies, anything. I just you don't like never, pumpkin pie. I like a sweet pie. I like an apple. I like a blueberry. So here's what I you like do though: you put the whipped peach. cream on top of the pumpkin pie. It, the texturally, it's all off for me. It is all. It's, it's a different texture. I'll give you that. Yeah. No, and I, it's I, it might be very textural because I'm not a key lime guy. Like those oh, creamy pies. I love those. Yeah. Those are my favorite. I can't do it. Like a, a Bavarian cream pie. I'm out. I'm out. I need a nice slice of apple with a scoop of ice cream next to it, and we're good. I um I, I like all all of them. Yeah, I, 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 like I don't want to get you talking pie here, Matt. We we only got so much. Can time we? Can that pie. be a new segment? <laughs> talking pies with Matt Rooney. Instead of the, be, the days we don't have Matt's that. hockey minute, we can do Matt's dessert minute. Matt's dessert minute. That, yeah. I was say talking pies could be a whole other podcast for you. You might you might be able to branch off here and do another series. Hey, you know everyone needs a spinoff. <laughs> All right, Matt, hit me with the last by yourself. All right, uh, I think it was Thursday night, was it? You know where I'm going with this. Uh, mm-hmm. Twitter, all social media was just set ablaze with the new Taylor Swift song. Um, I've listened to it probably about 10 times now, trying to analyze it from every angle. You've probably listened to it more, would be my guess. That's, um, I'm selling that. I've listened to it once, and I haven't been able to bring myself to turn it on again. Joe, as so much Matt, as, I'll as stop much, you let, in no, your let tracks. Me I don't stop, stop you. I don't stop you. Go ahead. I don't stop Go ahead. you. Go ahead. Taylor Swift song, and then I've swore this one is going to be different, but I hope I, I have a feeling it might not be. Taylor Swift songs, every the, every solo, whatever she does for the last four or five times, first time I'll I listen to it, I always hate it. No. I hate it. For every, every time I hear a new song, I'm like, I'm never going to like that. It's terrible. Shake it off. And then I hear it. No, that, I guess I wouldn't go that far back. That probably the last like two or three times she's, she's come out with these things. Like Bad Blood, hated it when I first heard it. Hated okay. it. Now I love it. <laughs> um, Matt- so, so I guess you only listen to it once, so I know where you're going to go with this. But you, you buying or selling? Look what you made me do. I'm not even selling it. I'm giving it away. I don't even need anything in return. I'm giving it away. Look what you made me do. It's awful. It has no rhythm. It's her existential crisis. Like she wants to kind of rap battle Kanye, but she's still singing, and it's not melodic. It's sonically off-putting stop it's, using it, fancy words to it's make your terrible case. it's terrible it's a terrible song that's and I'm a, a better taylor, non-fancy i'm a taylor swift fan i got hard copies of t swift in the apartment right now it's terrible like i can't get on board with it and the fact that this is the single the first single she's putting out off of what i'm guessing is her next project Makes me really, really worried about that. That project. I guess that that's a good point because that's where I'm like, if this was the best usually thing the first she's got single, on her next yeah. album, uh, that, what does the rest look like? like? But Joe, it's August 29th. We're gonna come back on the the podcast of September 29th week. I'll probably forget about this, but if I remember, we're gonna come back to it and we're gonna we're gonna ask you what you still think a month later. We're uh, gonna we're please. gonna reprise the buy yourself, but you get you gotta listen to it a couple times, a couple more times for me. Please, do. See, I was hoping not, for a single about like her and Tom Hiddleston's breakup. Like you I knew that would have been hot. Is. You knew that was her last boyfriend. I don't know who that is. So yeah. let's move on. He, he's a shitty actor. That's Moving great. On. Good for him. <laughs> All right, uh, that was buy or sell, Matt. Uh, anything in the mailbag this week? We do. Um, so Game of Thrones finale. Okay. Fantastic. You you have only. Uh, I have not seen the you've finale. Gotten, you've I gotten the highlights it. from me, though. I saw the episode before. Um, I, I so could this, guess what happened. This 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 email comes from from Chris Sims. Uh, okay. we, we, we you know Chris. We played football with him at Illinois Wesleyan. He's Shout a big, he's fans. a he's a big fan of our of our Game of Thrones, Talking Thrones, especially <laughs> our White Walker fanhood. He loves it. Uh, he tells me that just about every week after we do this. Um, how are you feeling about being on Team White Walker now, Joe? After that finale, that that's yeah. that's the the premise of the question. How do you we guys bought, feel after being day one White Walker fans? We bought low is what we did. And now as Team White Walker, I feel like from what I've heard about the finale and what I saw in the episode prior, we got Ice Dragons. Like we're we're in a good spot. We're we're a trending topic right now as Team White Walker. And I think we're right where we want to be as Team White Walker. Some exciting stuff happening in Game of Thrones land. I don't know. I don't think they've announced the next season. But it's I not think for it's like gonna, about a year and a half, I think. Well, it's going to be heavy White Walker. It's going to be. It's going to be the Night King is going to be out there calling the shots, walking around, but still being very dominant. Well, he, he's not going to be walking around, Joe. He's I know. He now he now rides. He now rides dragon. a dragon. But Khaleesi sometimes walks around too. She doesn't always ride the dragon. That that's fair. But Night King's a whole different animal. And for As, if if you haven't seen the episode yet, that's totally on you. I don't really care about spoilers. It's two days yeah. later. 
Um, the, the White Walkers have now emerged beyond the wall. The, the Ice Dragon completely tore it down entirely with this badass blue fire ice, whatever the hell you want to call it. Brought down the wall. The White Walkers are in. They're, they're invading the north, and it's, it's only a matter of time. Would it's you only call a matter of time before we reclaim you, the Iron Throne. Would you call them heavy favorites next season? I think they have to be. They got to be I, heavy I, favorites. I, I don't see how you can stop them. Whatever. What's that glass? Like you need that glass. Dragon glass. Longer. That's great. You know, how, so, you know how many pieces of dragon glass you're going to need to kill? Like a two hundred thousand mass, mass production. Mass production of dragon glass. I feel like is the only out here. But Fire. Team White Walker is accepting applications. You call us here on the Moose and Runes podcast. We'll send you your official Team White Walker T-shirt. We actually did. I one one Chris Sims actually did make a request for us to get into the apparel game the merchandise game and make a moose and that might team be white t- walker t-shirt that might be t-shirt number one Who knows? t-shirt number one is team white walker. team white walker just in time for with, the uh, a year and a with half the, now. with Damn. the night with the night king in a mitch trubisky jersey oh man uh, now the it's ball's done. rolling it's the done. ball's rolling here, man. all right that's our mailbag question of the week thanks to mims shout out to chris sims thank you to all of our moose and ruins listeners for getting to us, get at us on Twitter, send us a question, keep the narrative rolling. We love to hear from you guys, and we love that you guys listen to us. Thank you so much, as always. Matt, highlight of the week. Mine's going to be uh, a little bit obscure. Uh, we talked okay. about it, but you, it was a reference enough that you knew. Um, <laughs> woke up this morning to some some chirping on Twitter from uh, from my dad, my brother, and um, uh, our original, our first ever Moose and Runes guest, Dave, Dave Poulin, on Twitter. Uh, Rennie Bork. He was a former. Bla- he is a former Blackhawk. He was once seen as you know this big top prospect, part of the the old rebuild back in the early two thousands. He never panned out. He was lazy. He was terrible. He sucked. I don't think he ever had more than like fifty points in a Blackhawks uniform, despite all the the highly no. Never. He never even reached uh, fifty. I'm sorry. Um, in a Blackhawks uniform, he's now out of the NHL. He he was a journeyman the last few years, bounced around like six different teams. He spent last year in Colorado, was a minus 19 with 18 points in 65 games. He's finally done in the NHL. And this is just, this is a big day for me. This is, this is, I've hated him for a long time now. I don't throw that word around very much. My family knows the the extent of my dislike (laughs) for Rennie. And they've given me crap about it often for the last few years. And, And to see him, away from the NHL trying to play hockey in Europe where he'll probably fail as well. It just, it couldn't, I, I'm, I'm beaming this morning. I, I was literally speechless when I saw the news on Twitter. Matt, I tried I to say, come up with a clever comeback and I couldn't. Yeah. I, I say this from the bottom of my heart, but you are a sick, sick boy. Yes, because, uh, not with much, fight, but with Renny Bork brings out a side in me, Joe. The biggest fight in the last 50 years uh, Dustin Johnson hitting the ball a quarter mile. So many things happened this last week, and Rennie Bork is your highlight of the week. Damn it, I respect you, Matt. Thank you. You are, you are a hockey head through and through. My highlight of the week is one Dustin Johnson. Uh, just to be able to do what he did coming down the stretch, I believe it was four birdies in a row down the stretch to get into the playoff, and then the drive he hit was, um, was just something real special that, you know, you talk about, the game advancing and guys being too good for courses, that might be the truth here because he just made a lake look like a puddle of water. And I think that was my head of the week. Not to say that the fight wasn't exciting. It was great being down in New Orleans with uh, with the Basser Party. Shout out to Alex Firth getting married. We're sending him off on a high note. Um, that was a great time. But my highlight of the week, got to be Dustin Johnson pounding at 340 over the lake. I that that's not a bad option either though. I think mine's a little bit better, but that's that's not a bad option. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well that's gonna do it for episode eighteen of the Moose and Roots podcast. One very important programming note. We're coming at you twice this week, Moose and Runes listeners. We have our prediction special airing this Friday, sometime in the morning. We are gonna get you the prediction special to send you into your weekend so you can enjoy. It's gonna be Matt and Joe, Moose and Runes coming at you with hot takes for both the NCAA and the NFL football season. We're going to break down some divisions. We're going to break down our final four for the NCAA. We're going to make our picks at a national champion and a Super Bowl champion, and then we're going to play it back four months from now and realize how wrong we actually were. That's the Moose and Runes prediction special coming your way this Friday morning. We hope you tune in. We hope you enjoy it. Matt, shut us down. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. 
All right, this is going to go quick because I know we're, uh, even though the last few weeks we've been dead on with an hour, we ran a little bit long, but um, Ric Flair, the, the WWE legend, uh, the WWF, WWE, whatever, wrestling legend, um, was hospitalized a couple weeks ago for what was said, you know, just routine, uh, basically a routine checkup, routine monitoring, stuff like that. A couple days later, went into critical addition with multiple organ failure, uh, went under some emergency surgery, and now, now seems to be recovering. Looked pretty grim there for a couple days, but uh, the, the nature boy seems to be coming out the other end smiling, and it looks like he's going to make a full recovery. So I just wanted to make a quick shout out to Ric Flair. I, I know he's a big fan of the podcast, tunes in just about every week. Uh, you know, <laughs> glad, glad to hear Rick's doing well. Um, he's only 68 years old, might be a long time for a wrestler, but he, he, that would have been a little bit too soon to lose a legend. So good to hear he's hanging on and doing all right. And uh, I'll, I'll, again, keep shut down really quick, so I'll wrap it up there. But uh, that's it. Thanks, Matt. And honestly, yeah, praying for the nature and uh, glad to hear that he is bouncing back like only the nature boy could. That's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 18. Hope you enjoyed. Like we said, tune in this Friday morning for the Moose and Runes prediction special coming at you with blazing hot takes. Thank you for tuning in. For Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. Have yourselves a phenomenal week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) The Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, woo!